Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Art of War episode. This is a really special one because we have one of our Art of War subscribers, Warner members, Nick Kiever here. He's actually won the Art of War TTS leagues back-to-back, both of them, and the Vanguard Tactics League. He's actually undefeated with the super awesome Necklace. Not only that, he's actually one of Mr. Richard Seeger's clients. The robot himself is teaching other robots. It's like AIs are growing. So, Mr. Seeger, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite well. It's a pleasure to be here. And of course, talking with my coaching client, Nick Kiever. We've been uh, actually going from robot faction to robot faction, starting with Admech. We've made it to Necrons. And uh, Nick has been pioneering a really interesting custom dynasty list. Yeah. So, Nick, why don't you, well, first, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing great and honored you guys are giving me the opportunity to chat about the list that we've been working on. Well, yeah, you're ideal for us, honestly. I mean, you're an example of uh, a person that came to us and really applied what we had to teach them and have gone undefeated, written their own army, developed it over time. I'm assuming you enjoy it, and it's, uh, it's working for you. So you're like everything we want. A model student. Indeed. So thank you for taking time to come on and, uh, and share your thoughts with us. But let's start off with your list. Uh, why don't you just read it off to us, top to bottom. All right, uh, we can do that. So it starts off with an Outrider detachment. Um, it has in the non-Force Org slot uh, two Crypto Thralls and a, a Dynastic Advisor of a Chronomancer with the Entropic Lance that we all love. And then the HQs are another Chronomancer with the Entropic Lance and a Technomancer. Uh, the Technomancer has the Voltaic Staff on them, which is not what you usually see in Necron list for people, but it, it, you'll see as we go through the list, uh, it's really the best spot I've got for it. And um, it has the failsafe overcharger, which allows them to be able to uh, have the plus one to attack characteristic with a unit within nine inches of a canoptic. And then also it has the control node, which gives the uh, nine uh, the aura for plus one to hit. And then we add in the Warlord trait uh, with the Rarified Nobility, which gives it an extra three-inch range. So you've got a nine-inch uh, plus one to hit aura on the Technomancer. Then you have two Lich Guards that are five-man squads uh, with the shields, followed by two uh, Canoptic Scarab Swarms with nine-man on each of those, and three five-man uh, Canoptic Wraith uh, squads. Then it moves into the Patrol Detachment, uh, in that the HQ is the Overlord, um, and the Overlord has the Veil of Darkness and is the Warlord um, with the minus one to wound, the Enduring Will, or minus one damage, Enduring Will, and uh, Staff of Light on the Overlord. Then a 20 uh, brick of uh, Necron Warriors with Gauze Reapers, and uh, another uh, Scorpec Destroyer unit, the single one with five uh, Scorpec Destroyers in it. And then uh, Richard and I's uh, debate over the Hexmark Destroyer is included in there. Um, <laughs> does have the uh, Dynastic Heirlooms to give him the Gauntlet of the Conflagrator, uh, which uh, we'll talk about later, but is an interesting tech piece. A very interesting tech piece. So, Nick, we've obviously been working on this list for a while. When uh, the Necron book came out, 
I was all about the Silent King, about Novak builds. You, on the other hand, really wanted to pioneer a custom dynasty build. So first of all, why don't you talk about um, kind of the variations that this list has gone through, how you've arrived at this particular variant of list, because you've been playing it for three months now, um, pretty much nonstop. And then the second question, the follow-up is, why did you end up preferring custom dynasty over some of the other options for Necrons like Novak or Sawtech or the other custom uh, options? Yeah, I think it started with kind of a progressing of the coaching. So I started with AdMech and, you know, Richard helped me out with a lot of the list building in that. And I wanted to learn how to kind of write my own list. So we felt with a new book, it's a good time to try to do that with uh, some of his advices along the way. And before I even started working the list it was about how do i win you know what are the win conditions that we're trying to get and in ninth edition i feel like having a fast army is important as well as being durable and then you have to be able to play the mission great so with those parameters really started looking at the codex and saying what units help make that happen and the first one that came up was the scarabs i mean they're inexpensive four wounds uh you get a nine person brick of those for 135 points that's 36 wounds um you can give them the five up invul with the uh, chronomancer so it makes a very durable front line and really that's when it started leading me into the custom dynasty of the um everything's obsect in the pregame move really the obsect on the scarabs was what drove that because now you have this 36 wounds with a five up invul that people just have to be able to deal with. Otherwise, you're going to start being able to take their objectives uh, with relative ease. And they're fast with the 10 inch move and the protocol for the extra inch, six inch move. They're moving 17 inches up the board uh, right on turn one. So that is uh, kind of what there. And then from there, it was about, you know, what kind of threats and with that speed and durability, that's where the race come in. Because you have their T5, what you'll see is. Um, I value the high toughness in a couple units here in this iteration, um, but I wanted that high toughness. I wanted the speed and the four-up invuln on the race just add to that durability. So that's when they came in. And in terms of being fast, you know, with the pregame move, you can be five uh, five inch charge to your opponent's deployment zone in turn one. So they really fit the bill for what we were looking for, plus their obsec. So you get a charge and take off some of their obsec, and away they, you can put them on a zero-point primary, potentially. And um, so from that, the Warriors, which is a staple in a lot of Necron builds, they are good. I use those a little differently, which we can talk later about. Um, and then the Destroyers with the minus one to wound strat. Again, that's durability. They're T5. And with reanimation protocols, it really feels bad for folks when you uh, end up uh, hitting those. <laughs> and with the in the meta with a lot of lightning claws out there right now, um, it feels bad for them when they're wounding on sixes. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It seems like your list is very well designed to to play the mission, which is something we always teach at the Art of War. And you took all choices that synergize with that overall strategy. You know, just like I'm not interested in necessarily tabling my opponent or killing awesome stuff or doing this, that, or whatever. I'm just transforming points. That's all I'm doing. So with that guiding philosophy, what led you to choose the units you did or Siegs as the coach? What led you to point in that direction? Yeah, so um, actually Nick has gone through a lot of different variants of this list. And some of the tech choices that he had that he added over the course of time were either adaptations to the meta or just trying to shore up some of the weaknesses in the original version of the list. So why don't we start with the 20 Warriors? Because that is an unusual choice. 
your army is OPSEC. And so having extra warrior bodies on objectives isn't a major boon for you. So how actually do you use these? Because they're a really interesting tech choice and they bring something that um, otherwise the list doesn't have. So yeah, the reason I took the 20 warrior brick is um, because it's durable and I play it different than I see some people play the list is it's really there for later turns. So you can spread that out and really screen out your backfield for the first three turns. And then with the veil, bring it in to be another threat. So you kind of throw all your stuff into them. And then once after several turns, they've kind of dealt with the race and start getting the scarabs down. Now they have this 20 brick of warriors that they've got to deal with that's pressure in their objectives as well. It also offers a really incredible volume of fire um, type of unit that the rest of the list doesn't really do outside of uh, melee, of course. So you're able to actually clear screens early if you want with the warriors, string them out to multiple objectives, and then stack those objectives with like Scorpec destroyers, the wraiths, uh, and the scarabs and prevent your opponent from ever clearing that in any reasonable amount of time. Um, so have you um, ever considered using a res orb to help that 20-man unit, or do you think it's better just using them to deny mission points like scramblers against yourself and uh, using them lately to bully objectives? Yeah, I've tried it in a few iterations, and um, it just really I couldn't get the value um, on the single brick um, that I felt, and plus the points kind of become a premium when you try to fit in some of the other stuff. Uh, and using it late game, really, I don't lose any warriors on most matchups until turn three or four when I start to deploy them. So I, I kind of took it out of there. It's something that is worth considering, I think, in the list. Um, but right now it doesn't. And the other thing you point on is the volume of fire that you talked about. Having the AP2 in the list, that's another thing you'll notice. I didn't talk about all the units. But the Racer AP2, the Torpac Destroyers are AP3, the Warriors are AP2 and they're shooting, um, which really gets you to that Storm Shield threshold, which a lot of um, armies have those four-up emblems now. And that really felt like the sweet spot for me as well. Yeah. So follow-up question, I guess, is I, what strikes me as odd is your Lich Guard. Your army is really fast. There's, one, there's a bunch of scarabs, these rates. The Warriors, slow, steady, late game kind of pushing thing. I understand that. But these Lich Guard move five inches and just kind of wander about. What's their plan? Yeah, so the Lich Guard are there um, to be able to be action secondary. So I got into this mode where I was trying to um, be able to do ancient machineries because there was sometimes it's hard to find those secondaries that you want to take. And having a durable body that can sit on those and do those actions that isn't easy to pick up is handy. Um, I like them in the two five-man squads for that purpose, um, to be able to spread them around. And it's just one more durable body that has to be dealt with. And so far, it's been working out pretty good because late game, after they finally kind of seen the race, it's like two waves, as you kind of think about it. The race and the scarabs go forward, overwhelm their objectives, depending on the matchup, of course. And then being able to have the um, Scorpec Destroyers, the Lich Guard, and the Warriors to be able to take over that last part of the game. So it's almost like they're not like your premier assault unit, which, you know, when a lot of people bend a list card, they might picture since it is just an assault unit. They're like a board control action infantry just thing that's obsec. And then if they do happen to get in combat turns four or five, they mess stuff up. Is that pretty much it? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. They are able to also, you know, if somebody wants to come and shift me off one of my objectives, so we'll talk about fast armies that, that in the opponent's side that can cause some problems with the list, they really got to commit to be able to shift those uh, five uh, immortal, or, yes, Lich Guard. 
Yeah, the other thing that they offer is AP3. Once again, Nick was mentioning how the army overall has quite high AP. AP3 is something very interesting because there are several abilities in the game that ignore AP1 and 2. Having access to AP3, especially into a matchup like Custodes, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is a very powerful add to have. And you also have the Overlord for plus one attack uh, when he is nearby. So they can actually still put out quite a volume of attacks, uh, hitting on twos with that might well be done. Mm -hmm. So I guess one thing that's interesting to me is I know, Nick, we had talked about Necrons a while back, and uh, your list has evolved quite a bit since then. So why don't you talk about the journey, and I guess Siegs as, your, as his coach, your journey coaching him. Um, from that list back from when I tried Necrons the first time in like November to where we are now, like what changed and what spawned those changes? I think it's a lot about um, learning how to play the list. So it, the easy way is, and I recommend this list to a lot of folks because it's pretty low skill cap to get into. Like you can start to kind of understand and play the mission really well at ninth with the obsec. Um, but really when you start getting to know when to commit and one thing that I've thinks evolved in the list is using that six inch pregame move defensively when you're going second is a big thing that has helped. So I think a lot of what's evolved over the time is how I play it. Um, some of the changes, I mean, the base list is the same as it's been since near the uh, beginning. I used to have two Scorpac destroyer squads in there um, instead of the Lich guard. And, um, you know, the reason I got away from the Scorpex destroyers is by the time you have all those race bases and all the Scorpex bases, and you really don't want your Scorpex to get shot at first, uh, is just deployment becomes a problem and becomes challenging. So that's when I kind of took those Scorpex destroyers out and added back in uh, the Lich Guard to try that. And with those smaller base sizes, it just felt a lot better. But the core has been the same from the beginning. You know, uh, the nine brick scarabs and the three units of race and a 20 brick of the warriors with the chronomancers and technomancers kind of been the core for a while now. Now, as, as your coach, I remember you excitedly coming to me with uh, Forge World options when that book came out. And you were particularly excited about the Forge World version of the Wraith, the uh, Akronthites. So um, why did you end up uh, trying to actually utilize them in your list? And then why did they no longer? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, well, I saw those. One of the things that is challenging for the list is units that have a high, or a high amount of wounds and durability. It doesn't do well against those types of lists. So um, I was looking for something to be able to punch through some of those high wound, high durability targets. And the Forge World race um, kind of gave you four Melta shots. I mean, you're still Ballistic Skill 4, but with the Technomancer, you can get it to three. And they're fast, so you can get up the field and do the things that you want to be able to do with them. Uh, what I found was, and they still have a lot of attacks, too. So they're, you know, still have some melee. So the thought was you could pop a Rhino with the Melta and then charge in and pick up everything that's in it with them. In practice, they don't have the invuln like the race and some of the other things. So being able to um, not have that and the durability, it just didn't fit well in the army. So I ended up dropping them. I mean, they performed all right. I had success with them, um, but I feel like the list is better without them because they're 200 points for that unit as well. Yeah, it's another reason. It goes back to you saying going down to one Scorpec unit, not going for the Akronthites um, and going for uh, Lich Guard instead. It's just more things that don't need the Chronomancer buff. They're just natively defensive, and so they can go out on their own and not have to worry about being tethered near the characters each command phase. Yeah, agreed. And that's one of the things I've learned from Richard over the time is 
sometimes the answer is just have more stuff. <laughs> you know, just having a lot of stuff on the board is a good thing for any army. Definitely. I, I always value it, especially in ninth edition more so, just stuff is king. To that end, I think a few of the, there's a lot of small, isolated units to mention that Necrons can produce that are relatively cheap and really powerful with the obsect attachment. So, like two man cryptothrals that are obsect, random solo tomb spiders, perhaps. I'm getting them all, all over the place, but even ghost stars get really good with obsect. Have you tried any of those, like just solo obsect, relatively useful things? Um, yeah, I have. Uh, it all comes down to points um, is the main thing. And some of them don't have the durability. Like the Ghost Ark has the durability, um, but it's still a single model. And uh, it's you know tough to shift having that obsec. But I value some of the more um, threats in the list and the speed and being able to go more places. So it's just less stuff. And you know, a lot of good players, depending on the list and what's there, know to, you know, the um, Ghost Art can kind of be the distraction carnifex, right? It's out there and you love it when people shoot it and do things. Um, but some people will come around with their game plans to be able to shift it. So I tried it a little bit, but um, didn't fit it in there. Uh, so some of the other things I really looking at it, just I haven't found something that just fits as well as some of the other stuff, but having everything obsects great. I mean, one of the best feelings in the world is when it's turn five and you have your lone chronomancer still holding an objective and they finally kill it and you roll that four up on the strat and he stands back up and well, you still have the objective. If you're good at making that four up, Necrons are like another level of difficult to beat. <laughs> um, that's cool. No, it makes perfect sense to me. It's just like everything is good if you get at the opposite keyword. It's just a matter of points, you know. So I guess my next question, unless Richard, is there anything else you want to ask over here? No, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there is some things. And in general, in this list, it wants its damage spread out across the army. It doesn't want a couple key units that are doing damage. It wants almost every unit in the list to do damage. And bringing in something like a ghost arc, which is more of a supporting piece, especially for multiple warrior bricks. Um, Nick has found it more, um, you know, uh, much more powerful to have another unit of Wraiths or another unit of Scorpex, or in this case, the Lich Guard to help play the mission better and do damage in the late game when they're needed. Mm -hmm. Now, Nick, when I tried your list a while back, I got what it did. You know, it swarms the objectives with obsec stuff and overwhelms their opponent. Like, you get tabled throughout the game, but it's okay because you crush the scoreboard. And that's an awesome strategy and one that's very viable in night. But your army did, to me, I feel like, lack a lot of offense. I struggled to get uh, aboard the Witch against Grey Knights. I mean, what, what are we kind of are we setting here? So has that been a problem for you, or have you wanted more offense, or how are you getting by without it? Yeah, it, it, you hit it exactly right. It, it doesn't have the offense that a lot of lists do. It has the durability, so you're really playing that primary and secondary game. It's, um, you know, I watched that stream, and there's things that, you can, you know, as you get more reps and you get the feel of the army, that's one of the things I've learned is like I talked about earlier, you may have to use that uh, if you go second, that pregame move a little more defensively or you go all in and it depends on the army. Um, you know, there's some of them that you want to send those race right in, start tagging stuff and, you know, even minimizing the um, threat from the opponent's army with those race, even if you're going to trade them. So it's really kind of scenario to, um, dependent but in terms of offensive capability you're right this list doesn't really have it compared to some lists out there but 
there are few lists that are more durable than this list, in my opinion. And I think that's what you got to play into. Right. So I guess the, another part to it is like, would you ever consider adding in something like the Satans or the Nightbringer to try to boost up the offense? Or is it just better to have more stuff again? Uh, from my view, it's better to have more stuff. Now, with that said, I know the Satans are um, becoming popular. I have a teammate that's playing against the Satan list uh, in the WTC tournament, and he asked me to pilot it to kind of give it a practice, and I haven't piloted the Satans for transparency. So it's something I need to look at. But, man, when you start looking at the points in there, you just don't have a lot of stuff. And, you know, when you look at you know, the triple Satan list that's out there now that people are starting to talk a lot about, really the way to win those matches is you just take away their other stuff and ignore the Satans. And because they're so pricely, they just don't have a lot of other stuff and it becomes easier. And that's where I think some of the pitfalls where you can win matches with those, with all the mortal wound output that they can do. But in the long term, are you going to be able to, you know, win a five round GT or something like that? I think it's going to be challenging for some of those other lists. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense to me. What do you think, Mr. Siegs? I think there's a couple other important tech pieces that are uh, that this list is built around. Uh, The Technomancer is one of those. The Technomancer has the failsafe overcharger. It has the control node. And it also has um, that Whirler Tree for extended range. It's pretty much the linchpin for buffing the Canoptic units. However, because it takes the con- control node, it um, does not have that fly keyword to make it uh, you know, move up the board quite a bit uh, faster. So, Nick, how do you play around the speed of the Technomancer and trying to get his buffs on as many units as possible? Before we get into that answer, that's definitely something we need to ask. Can we also just break down what your variety of Mancers do? Because everyone gets lost in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. So um, the easiest ones is the Chronomancers. So what they do is they can put in nine inches a um, five up invuln on a unit, and that nine times out of ten is going on the Scarab unit. You might throw it on the Scorpec Destroyer unit if it's going to make sense that turn. But once the Scarabs don't have that buff, then they become much more fragile, and you lose a lot of efficiency on the wounds that you're given. So that's what they're in the list for primarily. The Technomancers that are in there, they're the ones that are giving the aura with the Warlord trait that makes it nine inches to plus one to hit to all your Canoptic units, so the Race and the Scarabs. And then they're also um, able to pick one Canoptic unit and give an extra attack. So now one Wraith unit could be putting out 25 attacks. So you, when you deploy, you kind of have them set up. So depending on the opponent's deployment, if you want to send a missile in turn one, you can get that 25 attacks on the Race. And then if once the trouble is the trade-off is once you send that missile in, they're going to be out of that buff to be able to get hitting on three. So they're going to be hitting on fours. So that extra attack kind of offsets that penalty. And have you found that to be a, a limitation here? Um, or has the Technomancer gained enough value to remain in your list and not be traded out for things like a Resorb Lord or, uh, or upgrades elsewhere across the list, like a, you know, the Counter-Temporal Nanomines on a Chronomancer? Uh, etc yeah so far i i think he's getting value i've teetered around the idea of not including him in the list and looking to see if i can get more value because with all those upgrades on him he's 120 points and there are other interesting options it depends on some matchups um where i do want to go all in i mean i'm just hitting on fours with all the race anyway and he's not really there that's why he kind of has the voltaic staff so if he wants to advance up to try to get that buff at a critical moment he can and still um do some work with the voltaic staff 
And also, if you advance them up the board, if your opponent has all those scarabs and all those race in their face, are they really going to take the time to hit the Technomancer? I'm almost, honestly at that point okay if they do, because then one, I get a four up and maybe he comes back. But two, that means he's not putting the damage into the stuff that is in his face. And, you know, we haven't talked about CP yet, but that's one of the things that's important to make the list function is being able to have that interrupt because you, when you multi-charge in and you know, you're going to take it on one unit, being able to interrupt that next turn when they try to deal with all that stuff is critical. Definitely. And we are certainly going to get to CP discipline with this list. Um, But before we get there for the Technomancer, um, do you ever get the chance to use them late game to bring back things like Lich Guard? your opponent's trying to whittle down the lich guard um do you ever get the chance to bring those models back not really i'll be honest with you most games the lich guard live they just don't get to it there's not very many lists that can deal with the other stuff to get to them and the warrior brick how i use them sometimes they can be in range like i've done it some games where i brought back the warriors but most time they're looking for more of the advantageous position just to put that rate of fire down and that's where you know, instead of on the Technomancer, um, putting that veil or on something else, I have it on the Lord so they can hit on twos. It goes with them. And that's why the Voltaic Staff isn't on the Lord, um, because I need him to have the veil. And I kind of value that. That is something that could change. I've seen people put the veil on Chronomancers, and that way they can put the five-up involved on the Warrior Brick. But I like to have those chronomancers just babysit the scarabs and keep them alive as much. So I don't feel as limited to when I see the opening, I can send that warrior and not brick and not worry about where my other characters are at. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, before we jump into things like the warlord traits, the relics, um, the secondary choices that you're going to make, how about we discuss um, another tech choice in this list? It is called the Hexmark Destroyer. It has a strength 6, AP 1, 1 damage gun. It does not shoot at characters because it does not ignore lookout, sir. How has the Hexmark Destroyer made it into your list and actually become a valuable asset for you? He's the man. He is. He is. So the Hexmark Destroyer, so it kind of got to go through the whole shebang with them. So he's got six, he's got six pistols, and it's the same profile as Richard just said. Strength 6, AP 1, 1 damage. He gets to shoot with all those, and then every model he destroys, he gets to shoot with that gun again. So if he and he hits on twos, rerolling ones because he's a destroyer. And if you picture hitting all the, you know, like Repentia or Zephyrum or Demons or any of those or um, Eldar, any of those or Harlequins, any of those three t- toughness characters, that means you're wounded on twos. So. He's hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, wounded on twos against T3, and then gets to shoot again every model he kills. So that in itself is pretty good. Then you put on the Gauntlet of the Conflagrator with him, which is a 12-inch pistol on top of that, where you get to roll a dice for every model in the unit you're shooting, and on a six, it's a mortal wound. So probably one of the best rounds I've had with him was a... There, I was playing Harlequins, and they had a... 10-person troop unit, and that troop unit um, came up the board and um, did a charge, and it picked up uh, something. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't insignificant. But once that troop unit was there, then Hexmark Destroyer comes down, rolls 10 dice for the gauntlet, picks up three of them, shoots his pistols, and the next thing, just with that Hexmark Destroyer, it took that 10-person troop unit down to two models. And 
that is pretty powerful in a lot of games. So that's why I've teched them in. When you look at the trade-offs for that, you can, you know, I used to have just another three-person Scarab unit in there to hold backfield objectives. So that was 45 points. So it's another 30 points to, in some matchups, just really have that powerful piece. The other thing that's great about it is if you have them set in deep strike, because he can do that natively, and your unit for deploy scramblers drops a unit of, you know, scions down to try to get scramblers. For one CP in his movement phase, when he puts them down, you can drop your Hexmark Destroyer in their movement phase and immediately shoot those at the end of the phase to deny the scramblers. That's so cool. I didn't even know you could do that. Yep, one CP, drop them down, and you're just shooting. And if it's a, you know, five-person Scion squad, they're likely not going to live. You'd have to roll really bad, or they'd have to roll really hot. So, you know, and the other thing is the Hexmark Destroyer overwatches on twos. So if a five-person troop squad wants to go charge the Hexmark Destroyer because he's obsec because of the custom dynasty and you got him plopped on an objective, they're probably not going to make it through the Overwatch. This guy is awesome. Like, I knew he was good because I used him the other day, and he was awesome. And Overwatch and Tuesday is even better than I thought. Wow, <laughs> this is great. But other cool stuff in this list you seeks. So um, overall, obviously, the Hexmark Destroyers made it in because very valuable anti-mission playing tool uh, against your opponents. Little units, really powerful. This list is amazing at denying scramblers overall. You have the big 20-man warrior brick in your backfield screening it out and then veils up um, after your opponent kind of runs out of resources or you need to use it to hold down the midfield. But you also have the Hexmark Destroyer to help pick off little things, especially ones that are going to try and scramble the midfield, like two death uh, cult assassins or a small unit of Seraphim coming in. So I think your list also has some very important um, pieces that are built on denying opponent secondaries because Necrons have one of the advantages similar to Space Marines in that they don't really give up kill secondaries um, very easily and certainly not your list. So most people are going to be forced to start taking board control ones against you. And some of the easier, more consistent board control ones happen to be things like engagement fronts and scramblers. How does this list help um, you know, deny things like engagement fronts or the other secondaries people typically pick against you? Yeah, that's a great question. So again, one of the pillars of the list was being able to play the mission. And that's not just the primary game with the obsec, but it is denying the secondaries. And everything you spoke is exactly right. So scramblers, you can screen out your deployment zone very easily. So it, they're going to either have to walk there or get stuff there that can remove your screen, which is tough because you think about how the list functions, it's all forward. So they're dealing with all that. So they really can't get to your backfield screen to be able to deal with it. So it denies that very well. It also is difficult for people to get, this is where fast armies can do better against it, to get that um, engage on all fronts because they're not going to be able to get past that front line that is just pushing. They've got to use their resources to deal with that. And then domination, obviously, is not a great choice because everything's obsec. So um, domination's going to be challenging as well. Do you often feel you go into many matchups with a, just a points advantage on paper, uh, especially in the secondary category? Yes. And, you know, one of the things for the secondary is you can, I like to try to dictate with my list what my opponent has to do. And when you think of secondaries, um, you know, you can look at, well, Necrons have Purge the Vermin, that they, you know, that's where you get two points every table quarter they're not in. And if I'm against an army that really wants to sit back on a mission and hold their objectives, 
then you pick that and that's going to force them to start trying to send stuff into your half of the board. Otherwise, they're, you're just going to max that secondary. Or conversely, if I'm pushing forward into an army that just won't be able to deal with it, then engage on all fronts becomes easier and then they're going to have to be able to try to prevent that. So the, with the secondary game with this list, you can really kind of dictate how your opponent's going to have to play the game, uh, which is one thing I like about it. Yeah. And over the course of this podcast, you've mentioned a couple Necron specific secondaries, Purge the Vermin, Ancient Machineries. What secondaries have you built into the, this list and which ones do you most consistently score the highest on? Uh, over the course of your different matchups yeah so most consistent is engage on all fronts um being able to pick that up since adding in um i do take dominations from time to time um but i'd say engage is probably the most prevalent because i only like dominations when there's five or less objectives on the map so um, most of the times i go with engage then also um being able to do either um banners which is kind of nice because of now that i got the lich guard that's another reason they're in there is to be able to do those actions or um i'll do the ancient machineries and ancient machineries in my assessments kind of broken right now if you go first because with the speed of the list i can get on those objectives turn one before my opponent can do anything about it unless they infiltrate something and you pop that on everything's durable enough to be able to do it and they're not going to kill at all in that turn and if you pop that on three objectives you're already scoring 12 points right off the bat or i can't remember can you walk us through how engine machinery works it's a secondary you don't typically snack the scene background players uh take and not really talked about but it seems like it's integral for your strategy yeah, it, so it works on, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Richard. I get it's the opponent picks three objectives in the mid, mid or two objectives in the mid board. You get to pick one. So um, mm -hmm. you pick yours, they pick their two, and then you have to do an action, and then the action can be completed by an infantry unit or a canoptic unit. And you get up on that objective and you um, start that action, but you don't score it till the next turn. So if they kill um, your unit, then you don't score it at all. But if you perform that um, action with the durable units in this army, it's very likely going to succeed. So you can play it where you, you know, if there's three, if it's one of them where there's two objectives on their side of the midboard and two on your side, so you only get one on your side, you can sit back with your Lich Guard and just perform that action every turn on the one closest to you and not try to get it on the far, far ones, which makes it fairly reliable whether you go first or second. Um, so that's where I kind of like it. But if it's against an army that can, you know, like Harlequins that, you know, can just put a transport on the objective, if there's an enemy unit on the objective, you can't perform the action. And so it can be a little bit of a trap in some of those. So you really got to know your opponent's army. And if they have the speed, if they go first to try to deny you being able to do that action. Yeah, the fact that it's infantry and canoptic that can do it, it opens up almost your entire army to uh, doing the secondary. And like you said, you've built in specifically things like the Lich Guard units to do this secondary. They could do raise the banners, but um, if you end up, um, you know, wanting to choose a different action secondary like scramblers which you can do with the hexmark destroyer um and the uh the warriors if you need to you have plenty of options to pick most of the board control secondaries and score well on all of them yeah i would agree so i have a, a, a follow-up question on that your army is based around being durable and relatively fast and just 
beating your opponent down on the mission, standing in all the places, standing on the objectives, scoring, engaging all fronts and ancient machineries and all those awesome secondaries. What happens if your opponent is designed to be just hyper killy and you play right into that? You know, I put myself out there because I'm durable. And they're like, well, I kill you. Does the unstoppable force kill the immovable object per se? Some lists are challenging with that. Yeah, in those types of games, I tend to play cagier with the race. And so you'll put the scarabs out there and maybe I don't go for the all in, put them on a zero primary right away or a five primary. It kind of depends on the mission. Uh, so, you know, assuming it's not a mission that's in a favor of that where they've got, you know, two in like mission 12, where they got two objectives right in their deployment, that's going to be, um, easy for them to have a lot of stuff there. And they probably still have some obsec at the beginning of the game that can handle that. Then I'm probably not going up in a mission like that. I'd probably put, establish the dominance on the midboard objectives, the two midboard objectives with the scarabs, and then wait for them to come deal with those and then counter punch with the race. And we're going to definitely do a deep dive into those uh, matchups, of course, in the second part of this podcast episode. But why don't we kind of finish walking through some of the, the little tech pieces that you built in this list. So let's start with those relics and warlord traits and why you went with those and what other options you considered uh, that you don't currently have in the list. Yeah. Um, so the warlord traits, um, starting with the overlord, his the whole purpose is just to give the my will be done to the warriors and then be the veil target. Um, there isn't really a warlord trait that benefits him that well, but because he is the lord and the noble, he has to be the warlord. So that's why he is the warlord. And um, giving him enduring will, you know, late game, if I get a if I'm able to veil my warriors into their deployment zone and they can't screen it out and I start pressuring their backfield objectives in turns four and five with those warriors back there, even if they deal with the warriors, he's not easy to deal. And once again, he's obsec. So, you know, late game, they still got to kill all the warriors and the overlord, or you're going to deny that primary um, at the end. So that's why he has enduring will on there. And the other warlord trait is on the technomancer. And that's for the extra three inches, the, um, Thrall of the Silent King, uh, that gives him three inches more on his auras. So there really isn't, in this list, other Warlord traits that um, I'm enamored with. Um, and I think they're not really as important as uh, some other lists that you might run into. Yeah, and uh, just talking about the Overlord real quick, uh, before we get into those relics. Um, have you taken advantage of using the Lich Guard's Bodyguard rule? to help put him on an objective, maybe only a couple fast units could potentially get an angle, um, you know, around the table and you want to make sure that you protect him. You could have the Lich Guard sitting in a ruin three inches away using that bodyguard role um, to help protect uh, the Overlord standing out on an objective. Yeah, that's definitely a play. I haven't ran into it just because of how I play the Overlord, but it's probably something that I should be looking into some more. Um, you know, another one of those, you know, get more reps, find more tools in the toolbox to be able to use in different uh, scenarios. Um, but I haven't used that a lot, to be perfectly honest lately, because usually what he's doing is just chilling in the backfield with the Warriors, waiting until it's his time to come up. Because if I lose that, if something bad get, happens and I lose that veil, then I've got 260 points of warriors that are sitting in the backfield that are just out of the game. So I really value protecting him as much as possible. Definitely. <laughs> Do not want him to lose the Overlord. Now, um, how about those relics? Um, the Voltaic Staff is a classic in pretty much every Necron list. Um, what makes it so powerful and useful in yours? So it's 
not on the, you know, a lot of people put it on as catacomb command barge or, you know, a lord or overlord, you know, something that can hit on twos. So I'm on the technomancer that's hitting on threes. Um, and then if you advance with it, it is assault. So you can advance and shoot, which is nice. Um, the strength six profile is good on it. And the AP two is good on it for all the things we talked about with storm shields and everything. And it's flat two damage. So it's like perfect for into Marines. The um, all other thing is it's four shots and it Tesla's. So when you get a couple sixes on those four shots, it feels really good. Um, so it's definitely for the cost of, you know, the one CP is a hundred percent worth it in my view, because it's one of those things it's chip damage that people aren't really used to. And then it helps because the other rest of the army isn't that killy. If you can pick up a couple, you know, Marines with it, and then you come in with your race, it's just that much less you have to kill in the assault phase. And it also, like you mentioned, it, it uh, is a Tesla weapon, so it has access to one of those Necron stratagems that is very powerful in dishing out mortal wounds. Have you used that stratagem much, and um, which matchups do you typically use it in? I haven't used it a lot. There's several stratagems I feel are good in the book, but I haven't leveraged on this list, which we can talk about as we go through some of the other ones. But I haven't leveraged it a lot because the one mortal wound explosion is nice like i in one version of the list i use tomb blades and i took one tomb blade with the tesla weapon just for that strat and what i found is the cp can be used much um better in other places because you only start the game with this list with six cp and you need to be able to interrupt in every turn of the game except maybe turn five it doesn't matter as much so conserving cp for those interrupts is uh the main thing there's a couple other things that are worth in the cp that i tend to use it on um six is auto wound with the warriors when they come in to make sure i get the damage i need from there or for the minus one to wound strat on the scorpec destroyers or for the standard character up for one cp those are interrupts and those three those ones are the what i primarily use it for so getting that extra mortal wound splash just doesn't feel great in a lot of matchups it's so interesting that you have necrons on like four pages of like a million very useful strats and i know seek starts with like 14 cp in a silent king build obviously these are two very different lists but to see you saying you like use two different necron strats in a generic book stretch over and over you know, and starting with only six cp do you feel like you're missing out on a large part of playing Necrons this way? Not necessarily, because it's how the list is built. It's not built to be CP-reliant outside of those interrupts. Like another strat that people like to use is the Canoptic Scarab. You blow it up and do mortals. I mean, there's scenarios where that's good. But honestly, rather than doing those mortals, I value the four wounds of the Scarab that just blew up more <laughs> than those mortals, because it's just there to exist. And so that's one less chance where if they pick up, you know, five scarabs in one go you know it's one less reanimation thing and it feels bad if you only had five left and if you would have had that six so a lot of those um strats that they have um really don't phase in another strat that i'll use sometimes depending on it is when there's a noble within the um lich guard and you can give them the extra attack i have used that one from time to time as well how about the uh, canoptic strat to heroically intervene oh that's a thank you that is a good one now I'm a, not a gotcha player, so I don't use it that much anymore because when I start the game, I say, okay, recognize that I can heroic with any of these canoptic units within three inches. And, you know, I tend to be that guy that when I see somebody make a little bit of a misplay, I'll kind of point it out and say, hey, you know, remember I can heroic with that uh, canoptic unit if you get that close. And then people tend to move it back. So it's a very powerful strat. 
Um, but just my play style and how I talk with people, I don't tend to get to use it that often. Yeah, and I often find that's the better way to approach it because it leaves both players feeling well. And it's not like you can't use the strap because you're actually getting extraneous value from it. Because even if you're reminding your opponent, he does have to play differently now, and that's value to be gained for you. Yeah, he has to respect it. You don't want a bunch of scar- um, scarabs or uh, even more dangerously, those wraiths heroicing. And he may choose not to respect it, you know, just get heroic. And for better or worse, it, it's a strategic and tactical decision and not a, I forgot about this rule decision. Anyways, uh, I had one more question more on like your list on a philosophical point, Nick. It's so based around being obstacle and playing the mission, but armies these days are are doing that and they're doing it better. I don't want to get too specific to the matchups, but taking away enemy obsec is becoming a bit more mainstream through thing. It used to be pretty isolated, like with Black Legion. Now Necrons have some, Dark Angels have some, all Space Marines do if you include some Reavers. So uh, I'm sure it's not the last we'll see of it. Is that something that worries you moving forward? So um, how you deal with that in some of the armies is they, it's usually in most uh, ability to remove OPSEC is centralized in an area, right? And so you're still OPSEC everywhere else. So what I'll tend to do is when I see that ability gravitating across the field, you'll go somewhere else or you'll start pressuring their backfield objectives on the other side. And yeah, they may be able to deal with that in an area, but you still can deny them primary everywhere else. And that's how I tend to look at it right now. So it doesn't worry me too much. It's not great. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still not the end of the world. Even with things like rights of war or it's giving obsec, um, you can play around that too and look at, at other areas of the battlefield to where you can go in. Yeah. I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Like, you know, they can take away obsec from like a unit, but you have many, there's multiple objectives to play over, just play the game from there. Mr. Seeks, was there anything else you wanted to ask Nick while we had him? I think uh, we covered most of the, the highlights here. Um, overall, this is an incredibly powerful build. It plays the mission so well and forces your opponent into tough choices starting in the um, decision-making process for secondaries that it starts many matchups with a, a just an advantage on paper, which is an incredible thing to go into any game with. Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to see how we talk about some specific matchups. I have a lot of questions on that, specifically about some of these new tougher armies like Dark Angels and whatnot. So check all that out over in part two. You can find it on our Patreon or on our website, theartofwar40k.com. You can now bundle it with our other podcast, Art of War Down Under, or with The War Room, getting both podcasts and The War Room for a nice little discount. So check it on out on our website. Also, don't forget Frontline Gaming. They are doing a uh spring cleaning sale of their hobby bits shop basically if you hop over to ebay they sell all kinds of secondhand models uh old beat up models painted models nuanced brew models they got it all at cheap rates so check it out on ebay frontline gaming's secondhand shop so anyways guys thanks so much for listening and we will see you all over in part two like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect, connect 
on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time. <laughs>